Welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. My name is Gab, and I'm here with my cousin and co-host. Dylan. And today, we are discussing a movie that, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, I have brought up and teased so many times. I feel like we are finally uh, taking one off the list that is long overdue. But before we get to that, Dylan, why are the people listening to us? Well, you're listening to us because, first of all, we have built up 30-plus episodes of prestige and podcast experience by this point, but also because we both have film school experience in one way or another. Me as a former video editor, you as a former actress, and that's why I think we have uh, the the bona fides to back up our talk. I would agree with you, and I have to say that is the second or third time you've snuck bona fides into this podcast, so good for you. (laughs) It really is. Um, Well done. Yeah, so we have a little bit of of, uh, experience and credentials to be talking on the subject, but more importantly, we are movie lovers, uh, just like hopefully you are, listener, so Today, we are going to be talking about uh, a classic rom-com. Uh, rom-com? Definitely rom-com. I, I, the com. It's a little light on the com. A little heavy a little on, the on the rom. A little light on the com. Would you call uh, it instead a chick flick? Perhaps. I think I would call it a chick flick, although that doesn't feel like an actual genre. No, and it is it is somewhat of a diminishing term to be used, I feel like, inherently. Yeah, yeah. But either way, it's a Nora Ephron movie, which tells you all you need to know. Uh, ooh, I'm at 97? No, this is 93. 93, not at all 97. The 1993 classic starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan called Sleepless in Seattle. I just want to take a second. You did not have to look down just there to check if it was Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, right? No, Corey texted me and it came through on my watch. <laughs> okay. Just so everybody knows, he says, no rush. I love you. Have fun. Thanks, can, Corey. So I we saw, don't have to rush. I saw Gab look just off screen and I was like, she's not checking like IMDb to know who's in this movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. My phone wasn't on Do Not Disturb. So the text okay. came through. Um, Dylan, I think... And again, this is very subjective, but I'm interested to know your take. I think this may be the most famous, um, we'll call it like rom-com chick flick uh, movie of all time. Uh, That I can't agree with. What would you say is more famous than Sleepless in Seattle? My mind went straight to The Notebook. Okay, but I would argue that The Notebook is a pure romance film. It is it is not in the same genre as A Sleepless in Seattle. True. Well, I think that this genre of movie, and in particular Nora Ephron's sort of like the queen of this genre, I don't really think it exists anymore. Because nowadays a rom-com has far more comedy and a romance has far more drama. And this movie is just kind of a very simple telling of a love story very similar to your you've got mail your when harry met sally all those nora efron classics i would say it still exists but it's not this is a movie that was you know uh, i think i have to check real quick but i'm pretty sure yeah it was a major box office success and with the way that the movie theater exists now you wouldn't see this you would see this on the streamer mm-hmm. this would be a movie that used to make a couple hundred million dollars and was the talk of the year and maybe a top 10 movie of the year. And now it's instead something that, you know, might be on Paramount plus and nobody knows it's there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's a very specific audience. I would say, um, well, Dylan, before we get any further, why don't you tell the people your 
plot summary for Sleepless in Seattle. What's this all been about? What am I working toward? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I die, but you're bottom. I bloody well ought to. When I think of Sleepless in Seattle, it's honestly hard to separate from the movie that would come after, but we watched first, You've Got Mail. I do think there's some similarities, but... Okay, I didn't ask you what you thought it was similar to. I asked you to define the plot. I was getting to that. Jesus Christ. We're going to have to pause this. (laughs) We'll be back after a short break. Um, No, but what I would say is this is about a man and his son, and they have just lost their wife slash mother. And was it the terminology there of saying their wife slash mother? I just like it could have been better, but all right. I I could have done a better job of that. Tom Hanks' character has just lost his wife, who is also the mother of his son. Nope, still not good, but whatever. Meg oh, Ryan boy. overhears on the radio him talking to the therapist. And as he tells this story of his wife and refers to it in the way that Meg Ryan's family has just referred to love, it was like magic. And you really hear that a lot in this movie, that love is described as like magic. And she immediately idolizes and feels a kindred connection despite the fact that he's not hearing it on her side so it's then she wants to you know find a way to get to this man who so clearly vibes with her i guess i'm trying to (laughs) say it in like without me describing the entire plot okay well i think a more accurate way to describe the plot and it's mind-blowing that you went to film school um would be A woman overhears a man talk about the loss of his wife on the radio and her opinion about what love should feel like is changed forever. Pretty much what I said, but okay. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what IMDb says? Yes, let's get to the even better than both of us IMDb plot summary. A recently widowed man's son calls a radio talk show in an attempt to find his father a partner. Yeah. I mean, I think that's even better. Like Meg Ryan isn't really... It doesn't really have to even be in there for the the brief plot overview. True. Do you want to hear the tagline? Sure. Oh, only one? Only one. Okay. What is it? What if someone you never met, someone you never saw, someone you never knew was the only someone for you? I love that. Also, I just want to say, have you watched Love is Blind yet? I still not. I still haven't. And I probably won't. I'm telling you, you guys, it's really, really good. Um, I mean, no way to get to it. But can I also tell you another tagline and tell you, let me, let me see if it sounds similar to you. Okay. Someone you pass on the street may already be the love of your life. Yeah, I get it. You've got mail. I know. No, there's something very lazy here. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a couple of years later, I'm imagining executive like smoking a cigar being like, I don't know, copy it, change it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. come on, I need more money. Like that. You can copy thing. my homework, but just change it a little bit. That is literally like, you've got yeah. mail now. I'm like, oh. They sort of just did this over. Like, it's the same people. Yeah. 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 And it works. The characters are different, but the same actors. Yeah. Same actors. Very different story. Very different feel. Right? Like, very different feeling between the two movies. Um, But it works. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, So what I'd like to do is just give a a brief, more in-depth plot overview, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I I do believe if you haven't seen this movie, it's one that you obviously I believe it's one that you should watch. I won't I won't ask Dylan to weigh in yet, but I I think if you haven't seen it, it's high time you've seen it. Um, Essentially, 
Tom Hanks's character, Sam, has lost his wife, the love of his life. She died. He has a son named Jonah, who's about seven. And he and Jonah are on their own. They live in Chicago and he's Tom Hanks is very depressed. He decides to move Jonah to Seattle. So they move to Seattle to start again. They get a really cool houseboat. How cool is the houseboat? It's not a houseboat. It's just a house on the water. Oh, it's not a houseboat? No. My whole life, I thought it was a houseboat. He could easily have a boat. Wow. All right. Well, never mind. Take the movie off the list. Um, <laughs> they, they, okay. They, I was always wondering, like, how come it's not rocking? Like, how come they never sail it? They do have a boat. Yeah. Uh, that's so interesting. Didn't All those right. questions Fuck make me, you then. think perhaps it's not a houseboat? Well, you're watching me put this together in real time. Okay. Okay. So it's not a houseboat, but they have a house on the water. It's very nice. Um, and, Jonah recognizes that his father is very sad. So one night he is he turns on the radio and he hears a radio therapist, which was very popular at the time. He calls in and he says, I need to find my dad a new wife. And long story short, the therapist convinces Jonah to give the phone to Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks begrudgingly speaks to her and broadcast all over the nation is this man describing how much he loved his wife. Um, and the hearts of women everywhere are just melted. Mail starts coming in for him from all over the country. Jonah's like, look, dad, you can have any wife you want. And he's like, hey, none of these women live in Seattle. This is ridiculous. Stop, you know, stop doing this, whatever. As the story is airing live on the radio, Meg Ryan is driving separately from her new fiance on Christmas Eve to his family to celebrate. And... She's kind of grappling right now with love because she's engaged to this man. He's very practical. He seems good for her on paper. They get along very well, but there just doesn't seem to be a spark. And she's kind of ignoring it. She's kind of rationalizing to herself that they're good for one another. She loves him. He's great. He's a great husband. He makes great money, blah, blah, blah. But you can kind of tell that she's not in love with him per se. And as she listens to Tom Hanks on the radio describing his love for his late wife, she realizes that she's really not feeling that love for her fiance and she inherently falls in love with Tom Hanks or the idea of Tom Hanks. And so the rest of the movie she is grappling with, am I in love with this person on the radio? Am I just getting cold feet for my own wedding? Is love actually magic? Should I go to Seattle and try to meet him? This is crazy. I shouldn't. And um, ultimately it is really a movie that asks the question, is, is love something that you can, damn it, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Is, is love practical? Is it magical? Is it one of those things that you don't know it until you feel it? Um and is it possible to, I don't, can you help me please? You don't see me struggling? Uh, I don't know what you're going for here, to be honest with you. Um, well, I, I had, I had it before, uh, you know, a couple nights ago and I just, I lost it. I don't remember what I was planning on saying. I feel like it's trying to say that love isn't necessarily logical. It just happens. It's a feeling. Can, can it just spark? Yes. Yeah. Very yeah, much yeah. her and uh, what's the character's name? Walter, played by Bill Pullman. I guess she does not feel a spark, but I will say by the end of this movie, I did feel badly for Bill Pullman. 
but we're not there yet to talk about how we feel about things. But um, it is really just a matter of, yeah, Meg Ryan's character then decides that she is going to look for and find this man. She has a private detective, you know, find out what he looks like so that she knows he's not an uggo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. She She also is a writer for the Baltimore Sun. And so she positions this as I'm going to do an article on this story that's taking over the nation about Tom Hanks, who is penned as Sleepless in Seattle on the radio. Um, so that's why she goes to Seattle. Like, it, it all kind of makes sense. She's doing this for work, right? She's writing an article. Yes. And I will say there is one key point in the movie where they have the meeting before the meeting where, um, for whatever reason, Sam is dropping off his current girlfriend that they have just started dating, uh, Victoria, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And he's bringing her to the airport. And at the very same time, which I don't know if that's just a thing that maybe back in the day you could bring somebody all the way to the gate. Oh, yeah. Pre 9-11, 100%. Yeah. The only time I've ever done that since is when I was picking up like my niece and nephew because they were unaccompanied minors. And I was like, wow, this is so weird. Yeah. They Annie is getting off the plane as Victoria is getting on the next plane. And like they just have that moment where they just. You know, I want to call it love at first sight um, where they just sort of like lock eyes you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's sort of like in game night they have that moment where they just fixated on their faces for a moment yeah um after that i feel like we just get to have annie in what can easily be recut and i did manage to find recut as a horror trailer where oh, she is God. just watching sam and jonah you know have a catch with each other like she is just scoping him out like you know, have you ever seen that gif of the guy who's standing behind the tree doing his hand like he's yes. rubbing his hands together? Yeah. That's kind of Annie <laughs> during this portion of the movie. She's just watching Sam to be like, all right, what's going on here? Um, all the meanwhile, she has had a letter communication going on with uh, Jonah, I guess, not actually Sam, about the fact yeah. that if Sam wants to to meet her on Valentine's Day on the observation deck of the Empire State Building. Yeah. Which coincides very well with the fact that she is meeting her fiance for that weekend in New York City. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, uh, not Sam, I'm sorry. Jonah reads Annie's letter, is like, she's the one. I love her. Sam is like, I don't care. She doesn't live here. This is ridiculous. And then Jonah agrees for them to meet her at the top of the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Um, but of course, Sam is not interested. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a plane by himself forcing Sam to follow him uh, goes all the way to the top of the Empire State Building and um, they almost miss one another. A spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. And then at the end, of course, they find one another. um, They leave together holding hands and that's that. And I think what I love about this movie, I mean, I guess, is it opinion time? I think we're I think we're heading towards opinion time. Should we just play the music? Play the music. In this critic's opinion... You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. What I love about this movie is that it is truly, and, and Corey said this really well after we watched it, it is really just a movie. It is about this one story. We don't get the 10 years later. We don't necessarily find out what happens after they leave the Empire State Building. It's just... Tom Hanks loses his wife. His son wants him to find somebody else. 
this whole plot unfolds. And then at the end, he and Annie get together and they leave holding hands and they get dinner. And maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, they felt something and they gave it its fair shot. And I just love that. Like, it doesn't have to be, we, we don't need a sequel. I don't need to know how it ends. It's just beautiful. Although I do want to see Sleepless in Seattle 2 Electric Boogaloo. Now, Gab, let me what? ask you something. Wait, what? That was just a fake sequel I made up of Sleepless in Seattle. But what What was the Boogaloo part? Electric Boogaloo. You never heard that before? It's like, <laughs> no. it's, it's a random sequel name that's thrown around all the time. It was an actual movie. But. Okay. Let me ask you a quick opinion question. Do you think Jonah is kind of a dick? <laughs> um, you know, it's really funny because that was the main conversation at my house was <laughs> right. Tom Hanks is not reprimanding this child. This yes. kid runs amok. What is he's a dick to Victoria? What is wrong with him? And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, here's the thing. Ultimately, I think that none of us know what it's like to parent and especially none of us know what it's like to parent a kid, a little kid who just lost his mother. So, yeah, the kid's kind of a prick. I'm sure Giselle would have some kind of insight into why he's acting out. Um, I I don't know. I mean, Tom Hanks probably doesn't want to be too hard on him. He just he's depressed. Right. So it's hard to really do anything when you're depressed. His mom just died. I don't know. Like, yeah, we don't just about anything. I'm just glad you agreed with me because. Oh, yeah. Sam, Sam, you know, Tom Hanks is like. Charm City in this movie, you know what I mean? Ugh, like, yeah. And you got male. He had to be charm against the character he was playing, which is like a terrible character. You know what I mean? In this movie, yeah. he is just like the purest of pure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's Annie who is a little bit, you know, of the Stranger Danger vibes she's given off. Yeah. Um. And let me ask you another question, since you did talk about you know sequelizing. Have you ever seen the movie The Graduate? Yes, I love The Graduate. Obviously, you're aware of how The Graduate ends, where he, you know, takes her away from the wedding and they run off in the bus and we, it lingers for a moment so that we can see them get to that point of you get past that point of elation to the was this a good idea? Yep. I love I think that is honestly the best ending of any film of all time. I will I will die on that hill. Part of me wishes that we had that as the end here. Because part of me wishes we just saw them going down that elevator and as they're riding down the elevator, which have you been to the Empire State Building? Actually, for the first time, Corey took me for my birthday last year because I had never been and I always wanted to go because I wanted my little sleepless in Seattle moment. So he took me. It's it's a long way up to the top. It's a long way up to the top. Well, especially now. It's so gimmicky. Have you been? Yeah. It's so gimmicky. You got to go through like a museum. They take your picture. And then at the end, they're like, don't you want to buy this picture? Yeah. And like um, seven different sets of staircases yeah. that you're like wrapping around in a maze like thing in case there's the hugest line you've ever been on. Did you know also that now you can go not just from the observation deck, you can, deck, you can get into another elevator and go all the way up to the little the little needle? Yes. The time I was there it was too windy for that. But yes. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I didn't know that before because we went. We're both afraid of heights. We stepped out of the elevator and we were like, uh. Yeah, thank like, God it's like fully fenced in because it's a bit freaky. It's but so scary. I, I wanted that moment of them going down in the elevator, taking that long ride down. And like maybe the movie could have ended on like the ding of the elevator hitting the ground floor. But just to see them have like these big smiles on their faces and Jonah having this big smile on his face. And for all of them to kind of think like, what did I do? What, what, what did we do here? Because there is I... an extent to which it's like. Everyone is acting on that impulse of the moment. You know what I mean? Because yes. there is very much Bill Pullman Walter who is like, I remember I almost had a problem. You've got mail with the fact that 
they don't make either of their partners out to be like bad people. They do a great job with uh, Meg Ryan and Greg Kinnear in that movie of, you know, they sort of, they both agree with each other. Like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this hasn't been working and it hasn't been working for a while. And there's more buildup to that in the movie. Whereas I did feel really bad for Bill Pullman because it feels like the entire movie, he is wonderful to her while she is, you know, I don't want to call it, I guess I'm going to call it an emotional affair with a person that she literally doesn't even know. And poor Walter, they're just at dinner and she's just like, you know what? I've been really into this guy on the radio. I think I'm going to go look for him. And he sort of is just like, yeah, okay. He's yeah. like, I just want you to be happy, which is like very nice of Walter, but you're like, oh, poor, poor Walter. Yeah, but I also think you have to remember like nobody should be married to somebody who doesn't absolutely worship the ground that they walk on like if you are married to somebody who is even thinking about another person like that relationship is right nobody deserves that well that's why i feel bad and i I wish walter had a moment like we need to do one or two things with walter walter either needs a moment of like and i don't know how we do it without making any seem like a dick where walter gets to say you know what i will find somebody who does who does deserve me because he really doesn't hit her with a line like that. Like she says, and he sort of placates her. And it's it's so washed over. And part of me is like, the other option is to just, you know, the more cliche thing would be to have, have there be an incident with Walter. Have Walter, you know, hook up with another random woman in New York City and she walks in on them. And I know that's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason because it, you know, it makes sense for why we can be like, oh, it's Walter. Yeah. The same thing with you know, Annie and Walter do that breakup. And at the same time, Tom Hanks just never says anything to Victoria. Like Victoria, as far as she knows, he's going to come back to Seattle and like be excited to see her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think, so I want to, I want to start by commenting on your, your point about the graduate. And I do, I love that movie so much. And you know, it's funny. I, I definitely thought about that a lot last year like all of these decisions that I was making and the way that I was changing my life I was always afraid that I was going to have that graduate moment where I was going to be like okay now I'm here fuck you know what I mean like what have I done um which thankfully did not happen but um I do love that moment but I, I think that that point exists in that movie because that movie is very I don't want to say realistic, but I want to say it's that it's going movie, for something very different. It's going for something different. Exactly. Yes. Like this is meant to be a romance. It is. And that's yes. what I love about it. It's not meant to be really deeply um, analyzed. It's not meant to like, pr- like show you what would really happen. It's just such a wild story and it's just sweet. And, and to be honest with you, I'm very emotional. I cry at these things all the time. Really in this movie, the only time I get emotional is when Tom Hanks talks about his wife because yes. I just think it's beautiful. Also, I don't even think that the love story between he and Annie is really all that great because we don't know what happens. Yeah. There's a moment that like nearly brought me to tears where Tom Hanks it's funny that we're just calling him Tom Hanks. We're not referring to yeah, him. As yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Sam is on the couch and he pictures his wife. And oh. like he has that moment of, you know, the wife says, Well, what is it that I would say? And you know, you can hear him like, you know, it's not like she's a force ghost where <laughs> she's there. You yeah. can tell that this is very much his imagination trying to hold on to what that would be like if she were here with him. And I I just found it so sweet and so sad that it like wrenches at your heart for a bit. Um yeah. You know, and 
God, it really makes you feel for Sam. Whereas it puts Andy in like the opposite position where she sort of is in a position to have everything. And it's like, but maybe this isn't the everything I want. Um, yeah. There's a line, though, that I think is important for what the movie is going for, again, in that sense of looking for magic, not looking for practicality. And I think it was said by Rosie O'Donnell, who like I just had to realize right now is in this movie because I forgot yeah. about it. That's your problem. You don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. Yeah. And that's sort of what it's like, they, because these two characters, you know, I, I think I might have it the actual amount of time they spend together in the movie, but they literally don't meet in the movie and have an official meeting until like two to five minutes are left in the movie. Yes. Which is a very interesting way of doing it, because I feel like that's the challenge you would lay out for yourself before you start writing the script. Like, how can I make a romance movie where the characters never meet? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's cool. That's a cool idea. Oh, I have another quote here that where Sam just broke my heart. It just doesn't happen twice. Oh, God. But I also wrote after that, which makes me sad because I know by the end of the movie, he will have just grown a new heart and moved on. It's the nature of the genre. But I don't know if that is necessarily what happens. But boy, Tom Hanks saying that you're like, oh, I know. I know. It's devastating. It's. And there are so many times when like, oh, you know what gets me? Jonah wakes up in the middle of a night from a nightmare and he cries, mommy. And Tom Hanks yeah. runs in and tries to comfort him. And he says to him, Jonah says to Sam, I'm starting to forget her again. Oh, oh, God. Like and and, you know, I think what I think is really beautiful about this movie is that you could write a movie where. Tom Hanks is a single dad for whatever reason, or Tom Hanks is just Tom Hanks and he's wrapped up in work and he never meets anybody. And Annie hears a story about him on the radio and da da. But the fact of the matter is it, 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 it is acknowledging that Tom Hanks has already met the love of his life. And he, he has lost her to whatever disease it was that she died from. And so it's like, you know, starting again, it's, it's Ken lightning strike twice. Like, and I, I love that we don't know what happens with Annie and Sam, but it I think in both of their cases, they've both attempted in one way or another love successfully for Sam, unsuccessfully for Annie. And it's like, can you try again? And I just think it's it's so nice. And I love that. We don't need to know what happens between Sam and Annie. What we need to know is that Sam is willing to try again. Which I do appreciate that they at least, I think they say it at some point that it's been like 18 months or something like that. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah, when the movie happening. starts at like a funeral, I was like, it's very much, you know, it's a cliche. We practically see it in every Daisy movie to have a Disney movie to have a, a dead parent or a dead spouse or whatever. And it really like part of me immediately going into it was like, you know, why does why is this why have to be dead? Because it, it just makes it feel terrible when. The woman he says he truly knew was the love of his life is gone. And they're like, but we'll find somebody for him by the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, it doesn't necessarily do that. Another line that I don't know if you'll remember. There's a certain line from Clerks. There's a character in Clerks who just says, that's beautiful, man. Do you remember what I'm I, talking about? Yeah, I do. I literally just thought that to myself after Tom Hanks, Sam says, it was like coming home only to know home I'd never known. <laughs> and I literally just went, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sweet. I, I, it's so interesting, right? Because you think about it in so many ways. You think about like 
what if I die? You know what I mean? Is he going to talk about me that way? And then there's also the like, what if he had lost someone? Could I be there for him? For You know, like there are just so many. It's not your typical love story because there is this very big elephant in the room. What if his wife had just turned into a worm? Would he still have loved her? <laughs> That's my favorite. Does Giselle ever ask you that? Would you still love me if I was a worm? I think if you've been together long enough, that has definitely been asked. So yes, yes, it's been asked. Cool. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. To um, know. Let me ask would you something. You? What? Uh, of course I would. Yes, of course. Okay, good. Smart man. <laughs> in in 2023, they, they're remaking this movie. They are updating the movie. They're not actually doing that, hypothetically. Yeah. How does Annie find out about Sam? I guess he goes viral on TikTok. That was literally exactly what I had written down. I'm like picturing yeah. Sam's viral TikTok and she's like, yo, this is lit. I gotta find this. The vibes <laughs> are too good. The vibes. <laughs> Low key, yeah. I think this guy's pretty peak. Um, I want to state kind of a, an, a, a maybe like a hot a hot take. If Go I ahead. This was my movie choice. I love this movie. I don't think this is like a life-altering movie. Like I do not think that this is a movie that teaches you anything. I don't think it sticks with you necessarily. I don't think even like The Great Gatsby to me, which is obviously based on a wonderful piece of literature, I think has so many different things that we could discuss and analyze. And this doesn't have any of that. I just think it's a good movie. I think it's a sweet way to spend about 90 to 100 minutes. I think it is beautiful. I think Tom Hanks does a great job. I think Nora Ephron just knows what the fuck she's doing. But I don't necessarily think this is like an Academy Award winning piece of artwork. I do also think it's important, though, and very much a part of Movies to Watch Before You Die is just movies that you enjoy. Like, yeah. we both agreed about Game Night. Game Night is, you know, you're not going to change your life by the end of Game Night. But you're going to have had a good time. That That would be my hope. Which, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't listened to the Game Night episode yet, but whatever. Yeah. Um, ooh, another thing I have written down. I did not like Jonah's little friend either. The one who's like, just buy a plane ticket. H&G. What's that mean? I am goodbye. And I'm like, this little bitch. Like, right. <laughs> she was like eight you know years old. Crazy? And I was like, what the fuck? Did you ever watch Girls on HBO? No. Okay. So when I, after I had surgery, I was still living in my studio apartment. This was only like seven weeks ago um but essentially i couldn't i couldn't leave my bed and i cory and i didn't live together yet so i was just basically like home alone all day so i decided to re-watch girls which is one of my favorite tv series i ended okay. up stopping about three quarters of the way through because it's extraordinarily depressing um and it was not making me feel any better but i watched a good chunk of it and on the tv show girls there's a character uh, and I'm I'm forgetting her name, but she's she's Adam Driver's sister on the show. And okay. she's this fucking lunatic woman, just like lunatic woman. And um, I'm watching Sleepless in Seattle and I'm looking at that little girl and I'm like. I think that is this woman. And so I'm unfortunately, you know, maybe we can put a picture of it or something in the um, in the description, but I'm going to show you a photo of this woman now and you're going to be like shook i wonder if i sh should i share my screen is that the best way to do this you can Here. i will be putting the description also there was a couple of them but i'm going to put one particular sleepless in seattle horror trailer that i liked the most oh you seem to have blocked me from sharing my screen so well, i'm just gonna i don't know how i did that but you. Sure. me neither here take a look um, I hope you remember what this little girl looks like because otherwise it's not really going to make sense here, but 
here. I made it so that you can share. It's too little too late now, but it oh, doesn't too matter. Late. I should cut out most of this. <laughs> we'll see if yeah, I do. It's okay. Digit. I'm like, how long ago was this movie? <laughs> that is a very like I would I would not have realized. Oh my I, I god, mean, I it knew makes it sense right away. She, like I'm very that's an impressive like that that snapped into your mind. I was like, I know, I know who what kind of crazy person this this child grew up to be. But it's just funny because her character on girls is not too dissimilar. Like she's a bitch. She's like, she's just crazy. But anyway, I digress. That was a fun moment for me, though. I was like, damn, I'm good. Good for you. Props. Thank you. Oh, I did right here. Her coming to Seattle to look for Jonah and Sam. And <laughs> this is literally what I read. Her. And oh, my God, stalking them is absolutely cuckoo. Way worse than the you've got male catfishing. <laughs> Oh my god. They literally it's just the fact there's literally a shot of the them delightfully playing on a beach. It's such a nice like what a good dad Sam is. And you just see Annie like just staring at them from behind a building. You're like this is weird. What about when when Sam and Jonah are on their boat and she's frantically driving along a bridge to watch them on the water? That's weird. It's so yeah. It's so weird. Like it's weird, again, but also like, have you ever been in a situation where you've seen someone and you're like trying to work up the nerve to talk to them? You don't want to lose them, and you're like, you like we do crazy shit all the time. Yeah, not really. I saw my. It's a couple months ago now, but my coworker brings it up all the time. I, she saw me and Giselle in Target, and I looked at her, thought it might have been her, did not get an acknowledgement quick enough, and I was like fuck it we're not doing this then i just walked past and she's like i waved to you and i'm like didn't see the wave it was too late i kept going <laughs> that's so funny i just got home this afternoon and in the lobby of my building was this girl who looked kind of familiar but i was like listening to i was listening to our podcast actually i was grabbing my mail going to the elevator and she stopped and she goes gab and I was like, oh, fuck, I have no idea who this person is. And then I realized very quickly that she used to take my class at Cycle Bar. Um, I just like vaguely recognized her and then I put it together. Um, but like. I forgot why I started telling you. this. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just ultimately like didn't really like want to acknowledge her like I was I was just like in my own world and she like went out of her way to be like oh my god hi and it felt crazy to me because I was like okay like I re vaguely remember you that was like five years ago but I, I understand that she was excited because she recognized me and it was such a weird coincidence so I don't know I guess like when you're the person that's like in the know I understand why you do like crazy things I guess I do hate when you run into a person though and like I feel like it's definitely happened with people who like knew me when I was like, you know, they were friends with my parents and like randomly saw me and you're like, hi, um, yeah. you, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, just like, buddy, not happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Corey is like the friendliest person in the world. And so he makes friends everywhere we go. And then we'll be walking down the street and someone will be like, Corey. And then I'm like, do I know this person? Is this person like from before me? You got to pretend hey, buddy. to know them. I'm like, hey, and then they'll hug me, and I'm like, oh god, I do they know it's me? And then afterward, I'm like, who is that? He's like, oh, it's so and so from so and so, and I'm like, oh, thank God, okay, I did know them. But yeah, like I just, I'm not great with that in general. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not either. Yeah, and if yeah, I know it's... your name, you'll know it. I'll say it. <laughs> I'll immediately yeah. greet you with your name. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, stud. Couple, couple more quotes I wrote down. A couple more notes I took. Is this crazy? 
no that's the weirdest part about it and that's just like andy and rosie o'dell talking and i'm like no you gotta help your friend out here you're gonna be like it's a little crazy right yeah you can do it but it is crazy yeah it is easier to be killed by a terrorist than to find a husband after the age of 40 again maybe that's a pre-9-11 thing that they're throwing (laughs) that line out there but i was like okay interesting yeah very bizarre jonah has the original game boy yep that was dope just saying and here it is um jonah's telling sam about the letter and it's the woman he likes and he says there's no way that we are going on a plane to meet some woman who could be a crazy sick lunatic didn't you see fatal attraction and jonah goes you wouldn't let me well i saw it and it scared the shit out of me and it's getting the shit out of every man in america <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie i've never even seen it i know enough about it that i'm like that was funny to me wow i'm shocked Glenn Close, there's another woman who is hideous and we all just pretended was attractive. I'm not going to say anything bad about Glenn Close. She's a treasure. She's a great actress. Okay, that doesn't make her hot. I'm not here to comment on hotness. Who am I to talk about Glenn Close's hotness? Hurry up. Finish. Did you not have to pay to go on the observation deck in the 90s? Apparently... You really just had to get in the elevator and hit the button. Now you've got to fucking go through Disney World and there's a ride and there's a restaurant. It's crazy. Yeah, because Jonah just gets up there super easy. I'm like, they said that he might have enough money for the taxi. And I'm like, first of all, how do these kids know how to calculate that? Yeah. Like, it's if they've ever been in a taxi, they're not looking at the meter. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, I have no idea. And um, it's expensive. Yeah, of course. Wait, which thing? Going up to the... I think it's like about 40 bucks. I think it is. I think Corey spent closer to 60 per ticket because we did the... We did the (laughs) nausea-inducing... The top top. The tippity-top-a-top? Yeah, which we both have a fear of heights and and could not do. And I did find myself, you know, you forget about it from from the standpoint in which you're watching it, but a thing that I just found myself thinking about afterwards is... The amount of coincidences that it takes, you know what I mean? The coincidence yeah. of in the airport, the coincidence of the car nearly splatting her Annie and Sam seeing Annie and just going, hi. You know, they both just say hi to each other. The coincidence of literally they don't even meet on the observation deck, if not for the fact that Jonah leaves his backpack up there and they have to go back up. Well, and she Annie goes up too late. and she sees the backpack and it says Seattle and she like intuitively knows that it's jonah's and i think she knows they're coming back for it but isn't that what love is isn't love just a series of coincidences that lead lead to something beautiful no (laughs) now i feel like now i feel like we're doing the bit from seinfeld there are no big coincidences and small coincidences there are just coincidences you know what i mean there's no magic love coincidences and regular coincidences (laughs) I disagree. They're also just, Um, they're not coincidences. They're plot devices. Okay. That's so romantic of you, Dylan. I will say, I, from the charm side, it felt like in You've Got Mail, they were equally charming in different ways. Obviously, I have more leanings towards Tom Hanks, just that I I like Tom Hanks a lot. Of course. This movie, Tom Hanks is doing a lot more of the charm work. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I guess give me your facts because I really want to get to the verdicts. Okay. And when we get to the verdicts, I think we need to do one more thing about you've got mail because you texted me something interesting relating to it. 
Yeah, and then I answered you and you fucking ghosted me. Well, I didn't want to talk about it not on the podcast. I did ghost Okay, you but you, you ghosted me. That's not cool, bro. It's not like you weren't going to see me. Here I am. I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. Let's get to some facts. Okay, let's start with our ratings. So IMDb gives this a 6.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter gives it a 75% with an average rating of 6.6 out of 10. 45 fresh reviews, 15 rotten. Audience score 75% with an average score of 3.8 out of 5. As stated, the movie was directed by Nora Ephron, who also directed You've Got Mail, Julie and Julia, and Bewitched. It was also written by Nora Ephron, David S. Ward, and Jeff Arch, who also wrote When Harry Met Sally, Major League, and The Sting. Which I thought was a pretty wide variety of movies that those three have written. Yeah. Stars Tom Hanks as Sam Baldwin, who, you know, you know from things. Do I do I really need to tell you what you know Tom Hanks from? You should Don't insult me. Yeah. Meg Ryan as Annie, who you may know from Top Gun, When Harry Met Sally, and Inner Space. Um, who else is important enough to really talk about? Ross Malinger as Jonah, who also was the voice of TJ Detweiler in 28 episodes of Recess. Wow. I found that very coincidental. That is so cool. Wait a second. Why only 28 episodes? What would happen is they cast a lot of real kids for the voices. So once they got a little bit older, their voices would start to change and they would have different kids play them. Wow. How come I never noticed that? I don't know. Wow. Crazy. All right, cool. Small world. Yeah. The movie was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for Best Original Screenplay and the other for Best Original Song for A Wink and a Smile. Okay. It was also nominated by the Casting Society of America for Best Casting for a Feature Film in the Comedy category, which it does have a very good cast. It does. It really does. The critics' consensus, Sleepers in Seattle is a cute classic with a very light touch and real chemistry between the two leads, even when spending an entire movie apart. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We got some reviews. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. Sleepless in Seattle is as ephemeral as a talk show, as contrived as The Late Show, and yet so warm and gentle, I smiled the whole way through. Yeah. Eugene Navakov from Film Blather, and possibly from the Soviet Russia. I don't know, <laughs> I just liked his name, Navakov. Nora Ephron botched Sleepless in Seattle, a hollow, boring romance that should appeal only to the most gullible of viewers, the ones willing to buy into Ephron's whiny views of life and romance. Harsh. Wow, that is rude. Okay. Bit harsh. Brian Lowry from Variety. Efron and fellow writers Jeff Arch and David S. Ward have conspired to make Sleepless in Seattle as purposefully schmaltzy as one can imagine in a manner that's almost cynical. There was a lot more people who went hard against it. Like, I know it's 45 positives and 15 rotten, but the 15 rotten, those guys were so. <laughs> yeah. Very much against it. It went in. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. It's easily the hippest, frankest and funniest date movie around. Last one, Mike Massey from Gone with the Twins. Despite a madcap slapstick type of comic conclusion with no real hope of marital longevity, the film is terribly romantic. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, I didn't say uh, the very specific numbers. So the movie cost $21 million to make and ended up grossing $228 million. Wow. Let me get to some fun facts here. Um, writer Jeff Arch was saying that in 1974 in college, he watched an affair to remember the movie they talk about a bunch of times mm -hmm. with a girl and couldn't take it anymore. He went to turn and say, what a bunch of horseshit this is. And she was crying. And he told her if in the distant future of 1980, 
you're not with anyone and I'm not, I'm not with anyone. I'll meet you on the Empire State Building on New Year's Eve. They did not. Aww. Yeah. Um, let me see here. The scene between Tom Hanks and Victor Garber crying over the Dirty Dozen was completely improvised during the take. That was so good. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I think it's one of the parts that I feel like I heard talked about the most when I was looking up things afterwards. How, you know, mm-hmm. the comparison between women's movies and men's movies, which feels a little antiquated today. I don't think it's as yeah. common either way, but it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite playing the role of his sister in the movie, Rita Wilson is the real-life wife of Tom Hanks. They had been married love for five that. years at the time of the release of the movie. I love them together. I think anytime they're on screen together, it, you can. I, I, I genuinely feel like you can feel the magic between the two of them. You know what I mean? I feel like when I looked her up, I thought I had seen her in a lot more things than I have. Yeah, oh, she's on Girls. Well, the main thing that I think I really remember her for is Jingle All the Way. Right, yeah, yeah. She's great. All right. But well, I do making... feel the Ooh. magic between them. Sorry. You think so? Even as fake brother and sister? Yes, 100%. <laughs> While making the film, Nora Ephron was focused on its long-term legacy, saying, Our dream was to make a movie about how movies screw up your brain about love. And then if we did a good job, we would become one of the movies that would screw up people's brains about love forever. Yeah. Oh, I my God. Like it's, it's probably Success. a little more depthful of a thought than the movie actually feels like. But I get where she's coming from. Yeah. Now, finally, I've got, a, you know, this one's a little bit of a trivia question for you. Okay. The American Film Institute named it number 10 in its top 10 romantic comedies. Do you want to take a stab and see if you can get any of one through nine? Oh, my God. Okay. Yes, I do. When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally is on there. Okay. Um, oh, is there any way you can tell me what year this list came out? I'm not certain on the year the list that came out, but I can tell you there's not a movie after 2000 on here. Okay, thank you. That's all I need to know. Um, romantic comedy. Um, let's go. You've got mail. No. Okay, that's fine. Let's go. Um, um, oh, man. Um, to be honest, there's a lot of older movies. I'll be, I, there's only one other movie that I think I know for sure that I think you would mention. You know what I mean? Casablanca? That's not a comedy. No. Had, okay it, just tell me that very romantic ending um <laughs> so number one they had city lights from 1931 never seen it number two annie hall oh of course number three although also Night. doesn't feel romantic but okay i don't know i haven't seen it oh my god we're doing it number four roman holiday number five yeah. the philadelphia story number six no. when harry met sally number seven adam's rib number eight moonstruck and number nine harold and maude Moonstruck is a movie that we should do. Scott and Durante has requested it. He said he would be a guest on for that episode. Um, I really nailed 50 per only only two of those on there have I ever heard of. Harry and most Moonstruck. of them are and I a got lot 50%. older. Yeah. Um let's see here. Tom Hanks lost at the 51st Golden Globes for Best Actor in a Musical Comedy to Robin Williams for Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, Don't feel fine, too bad, fair. though, because he won Best Actor Drama for Philadelphia at the same Golden Globes. Yes. Go, Tom. That's one of that's my favorite performance of his. The 90s for Tom Hanks were just absolute dominance, weren't they? I mean, he's still living off the money he made in the 90s. When Meg Ryan's character is in the kitchen in the middle of the night listening to the best of radio callers, the caller disappointed in Denver is voiced by Nora Ephron. Amazing. And last one here. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks share approximately two minutes of screen time together in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I think you're right. I think it's it's like a cool prompt. Write a write a romantic comedy where the two characters never are never in the yes. Summer. That that never I think is probably the most interesting aspect. It's like you know, write me an action movie where nobody fights. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I feel like we yeah. kind of seen in some of. Uh, I'm trying to think. I feel like Edgar Wright does that somewhat where like there's so much action in the times where there isn't action, but yeah. 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 And speaking of action, let's take action and get to the mail. How about that? That was a good one. It wasn't. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, pr- I'm happy with that. Mail point. When you control the mail, you control information. Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake. What? Let's get to some comments that we have on recess schools out a movie that Which, by the way, us loved. I think was our best episode yet. I hated the movie. I think the episode was gold. I've listened to it multiple times. I haven't really listened to the episode yet. I intend to shortly. So good. But let's see what people who did listen had to say. Okay. And of course, one of those people is Scotty Cameron. Scotty. Scotty said, I watched Recess as a kid and I enjoyed the show, but I regret to inform you I have not seen this movie. I'll have to watch it sometime over the summer. Now that school's out. I may bring back childhood memories. I assume he meant it may bring back childhood memories of watching Recess on ABC Kids. On the subject of universities versus colleges, universities are institutions that offer both graduate and undergraduate programs, while colleges are liberal arts and technical schools that only offer undergraduate pro- programs. Ah, huh. wow. Thank you, Scotty. That's why Scotty's our Jamie. He, he's the, yeah. he's the, I get to the facts, but he is the fact guy. Yeah. Having attended community college before transferring to university, I have some experience in those various institutions. From my understanding, colleges offer associate's degrees while universities offer bachelor's degrees. I obtained my associate degree in liberal arts from Johnson County Community College, JCCC, and in pursuing a political science bachelor's degree at the University of Kansas City, Missouri. Well, uh, I regret to inform you that I got my bachelor's degree at Marymount Manhattan College. Shit. She just blew them facts up. Yep. Sorry. It never really occurred to me that there was a difference between college and university until it was discussed, so I had to do my Jamie duties and figure it out. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Funny. And of course, more from Scotty. From what I've seen, the the homies figures are still being made. (laughs) Oh my god! But their popularity dwindled, largely because law enforcement entities urged retailers like Walmart and Safeway to stop carrying the toys. That happened in the early to mid-2000s. Anyway, that's all I could find as far as the seeming disappearance of Homie's Toys. Wait, I feel like there's a much deeper story there, but okay. Oh my god, can I interrupt you? Because it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. I remember what those other figures are called. (laughs) Okay. It just hit me with listening to Scotty talk about the Homies. They were called Crazy Bones. Were they like little ghosts? Yeah, they were like little, but they were like blue or orange or red or green. Crazy bones. Yeah, they were like Anybody more neon else? looking. Yes, 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 and they were hard plastic, and I don't remember what you did with them, but they came in the mail. You got a little a little thing with two of them, and I played with them all the time. I loved them. They were just like homies, but they were hard plastic, and they were like ghostesses. I feel like these things are all just terrible choking hazards. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well. I can't believe that just hit me like in that moment. I, I had said on the previous episode of the podcast, oh, I'm going to ask my dad. He'll remember what he never would have fucking remembered that. I remember that. I'm a genius. I was going to say, you, your dad, my uncle, surely does not care enough to remember that. Like, no, why would not. he? Crazy Bones. Scotty, do me a favor. Look up Crazy Bones and give us a little information on that. How crazy is it? Is it crazy with a C or is it crazy with a K? It's so crazy. 
I, you know, I don't remember, but my instinct says it was a C because they were like mildly, mildly to severe plaques from misses. <laughs> I, I also feel like there has to be more to the story that law enforcement stopped retailers from selling homies. Yeah. Although, okay, we'll get off the topic of homies. One subject I did find intriguing in this episode is how well television shows translate to film, and I think the law of diminishing returns applies to show to film. One observation I've made is that comedy shows don't translate to film as well as action adventure shows because most of the conflicts in a comedy show are resolved in 11 to 20 minutes and really don't go beyond that. So a 90-minute exactly conflict... What we said. It is? That's exactly what we said. Yeah. Well, I'll take your word for it. You listen to it. I haven't yet. So Multiple a 90-minute conflict is a bit of a stretch. Meanwhile, action-adventure shows have conflicts that span more than one episode, and thus 90-minute conflict is more justified. It's largely why Star Trek and Mission Impossible have gone on to be such great film franchises, while SpongeBob Simpsons and Mr. Bean have produced okay movies. Mm-hmm. You know what's the one comedy show that comes to my mind that went on to be a more successful film franchise? What? The Naked Gun. That was a TV show? It was a TV show that was canceled after like six episodes, and it became a film trilogy that was you know, fairly wow. successful. Yeah, I love that. I love at least the first one. Um, I don't I don't remember like 33 and a third or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a naked gun two and a half and naked gun 33 and a third. The final insult, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. But all three of those movies definitely have funny moments in them. Oh, for sure. And we got an email from Vitz. <gasps> Yay. Subject been busy, still listening. Recess yeah. schools out. Let me get this straight. The strategy is to eliminate summer vacation by moving the moon to freeze the planet, therefore increasing winter vacation and snow closures. Sure, summer is canceled, but I feel <laughs> like it doesn't exactly fix the problem. The point, Vitz, was that now the kids are forced to stay indoors and being indoors, they'll be forced to study. The point is this movie was hot garbage. The point is you're overthinking this movie for children. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this show and this movie keeps pace with the program itself. It's not all that great as a movie, but a fun watch. I'll take it. The joke TJ had of, I'm going to be taxpayer someday after being left out of the police station was really good, and it had a couple one-liners, like Finster saying, hey, leave those kids alone from Pink Floyd's The Wall Part 2. This is not a movie to watch before you die for me. Great soundtrack, though. Fine. Unmentioned voice talent that I feel should be given their dues, which I feel like I would have done, but I don't I know. I feel like during the fact segment, if I spend... 10 minutes just talking about all the voice actors that I'm like, I know them from this thing. It gets tedious for for at least, you know, half of the hosts. Mm. The not me, the not me host. Uh-huh. The 60 superintendent was voiced by Robert Stack, who's the host of Unsolved Mysteries. Interesting. The bald guy who was, you know, the secondary villain was voiced by Clancy Brown, who he lists as uh Vitz lists him as Drill Sergeant Zim from Starship Troopers and Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. <gasps> He's also Lex Luthor from the DCAU. Why do you say it like that? Luthor? Yeah. As opposed to Lex Luthor? Isn't it Luthor? You know what? I feel like in anything I've seen where it's actually good, he refers to himself as Lex Luthor. And anytime I see a bad Superman thing, he's Lex Luthor. Okay. I don't so know. this is I... not like in like an it's... East Broadway? No, it is not. It's not me just sounding stupid. It's L-U-T-H-O-R. <laughs> As okay, how does Martin E-R? And that's how Martin Jr. spells it? What? Martin Luther King Jr.? Is L-U-T-H-E-R. Okay. All right. I can see that. All right. I forgive you. You can move on now. Fantastic. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Rosenthal from Recess was voiced by Tony Jay, who was Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Wow. Uh, 
Colonel O'Malley, the TJ's changed voice in the military camp, it was voiced by Arlie Ermey, who was the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. He was in the Texas Chainsaw movies. And finally, we have a recommendation on cartoon movies based from their original show. Vitz recommends a goofy movie. Oh, my God. I love that movie. We're children of the 90s. Of course, we love a goofy movie. I think I have it on my list and I'm like, we can't do goofy movie. It's too obvious. You do have it on your list. We I recently was listening to. um, Oh, my God. What was the name of the power line? The power line song. I to eye movie. Eye to eye. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know that because it's on Giselle's playlist. So I hear it frequently. Mm. it's a good one it's also i feel like it was the last gasps of paulie shore <laughs> like him being like yeah it's the chase like it's like oh <laughs> and that was it never the to cheese be whiz. again yes yep yeah he was he was canceled after that not for doing anything terrible just for not being just that being annoying anymore. yeah yeah <laughs> and now shall we get to some verdicts for what, what is this for sleepers in seattle <sighs> that's really how you feel about it yeah i guess so what do you mean? Like, you don't even remember? <laughs> it means that little to you? Well, due to the time vortex, this is a different time. It's all, <laughs> You're hearing me say this in the middle of the Sleepers in Seattle episode, oh. but I'm not recording this in the middle of the Sleepers in Seattle episode. Oh, okay. You, you never know. Let's hear what I have to say. Do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Sentence is death. I'll go first, of course. As you shall. This I is have, your movie. I I have said it before and I'll say it again. I do not think this is a movie that you take with you when you go home. I don't think that this is a movie that sparks any kind of real thought about life or love. I don't even think that anybody can really relate to it necessarily, unless you have lost a spouse and or stalked somebody. Um <laughs> You know, I think sometimes for me, the thing that really gets me in a movie and makes me emotional is when I feel that I relate to it, whether I relate to it specifically or I feel as though it's like analogous for something that I'm going through or have gone through. Um, And there is none of that in this movie. I just think it's sweet. I think it's well done. I think it is kind of a gold standard for romance movies. Um maybe romantic comedies, I guess, if it goes in that genre. But ultimately, I think it is truly like the definition of a movie you should watch before you die. I just think everyone needs to see it. It's very well done. It's it's sweet. It's romantic. It's quirky. And it just is the pinnacle of that genre. You know, that's it. Now, Gav, the other important question, being that this feels, it's a very similar feel, very similar creative and talent team behind You've Got Mail. Do you think that this is a better movie than You've Got Mail? Um, I do. I really do. And I the only reason that I believe it's better than You've Got Mail is because You've Got Mail is so similar, except that there's really no part of it that like really tugs at your heartstrings. Like the end of the movie when when the dog runs up to Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks is calling and you know she says I wanted it to be you so badly. Like that's very sweet and it like bring it will like well up a little bit of water in my eyes. But I mean sleepless in Seattle, like I'm sobbing. I'm in all those moments we discussed. So I just think it's a better movie because it it evokes more emotion. It's a little bit more um 
I think to evoke emotion in somebody is is an art form in and of itself. And so while You've Got Mail is entertaining and it's sweet and it's romantic and it's like, oh, I don't think it really does to the human emotion what Sleepless in Seattle does. Interesting, because I definitely think that I feel the ending of You've Got Mail a lot more because hmm. they have spent all that time getting to know each other. And it's like when she does realize that it is him, she, you know, she realizes, oh, my God, it's, you know it's the person I thought it was. And while he, you know, while I made fun of him semi catfishing her, there is this aspect that it's, he has worked so hard to get to know her and to try and make her feel for him the way he knows he feels about her. And when it finally happens, she realizes, Oh my God, I have loved you and didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I don't think it's a sleepless in Seattle is a movie to watch before you die. Because Leave Us in Seattle is so hollow to me because I never, you know, I never feel the love between them because I keep feeling like she does not know this man and he does not know her. And I like, don't, but I, here's where I think you're missing it. I don't think it's a love story about two people. I think it's a story about love. I do not think it is a romance about Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I think it's a movie about how it feels to be in love. Whether you're in love with your dead wife, whether you realize you're not in love with the person that you're engaged to be married to, when you feel that spark. Because like she may not she and Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks may not work out, but I think that just the fact that she felt that way about a stranger was an indication that she should not be with Walter. Like, I don't think this is a romance about two people. I think it is a movie about love. You're probably right. But I'm watching the movie about Annie and Sam, and to me, it just feels like where I don't want cliches, there are cliches. Where I do want cliches, they sometimes aren't there. But you don't feel like even as a film buff that this is simply a movie that you need to see if you love film. Like you like if you were talking to somebody and they said they'd never seen Sleepless in Seattle, you wouldn't be like, really? Because that's how I feel about like. Like the sound of music, I don't think that's like one of my favorite movies, but I just feel like you have to see it. No, I would say go watch You've Got Mail. But you said that wasn't a movie to watch before you die. You stupid. I did say that was a movie to watch before you die. Oh, sorry. Check our list. Check I'm the description, sorry. motherfucker. Oh my god. Sorry. sorry. Pull your jets. I, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, that's right. Pump your brakes. You know, every week now I listen to the episode of our podcast and I don't remember if I said yes or no. So I'm all excited to hear my verdict. I do the same um, thing where I listen to the episode and I'm like, I said that? What an <laughs> idiot. <no." laughs> yeah. I was um, shocked to hear what my verdict was um for uh the the Audrey Hepburn movie. But anyway. Wait until, wait dark, until I'm, dark. I'm still very disappointed but yeah i gotta tell you you know it's funny you having said sleepless in seattle is better to you than you've got mail i was so surprised because i was waiting for you to say after watching it that you were like oh my god i i totally forgot that you've got mail is way better than this because i talked to giselle afterwards and she was like oh yeah you've got mail is way better than sleepless in seattle she was like it's funny you know she has family on the west coast so she used to go to seattle every year and she's like yeah, and Pike Place Market, they're always like, this is the place where Tom Hanks was. And I was always like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. I definitely finished the movie and I was like, okay, that was a good movie. It wasn't like I finished The Great Gatsby and I like wanted to talk about, you know, all these big ideas and the, the you know, 
the, like the literary components and, you know, what it means to be able to go back in time, you know, all that bullshit. And I don't feel like I'm mostly in Seattle. It's just a movie. It's fine. But I do think that it is a beautiful movie about what it means to love someone. I don't think it's a love story about those two people in the least. And obviously you've got mail is a love story about two people, but this movie is just about how it feels to love someone. And also how it feels to not love someone and how hard it is to try to convince yourself you love somebody when you don't. Yeah, I just think with a romance movie, you want to believe that, you know, part of the genre of romance is I feel like a lot of the time it's supposed to end with that happily ever after feeling. And I felt like by the end of this that I was like, these people are going to realize I don't know who the hell you are, random lady I saw in airport, and I don't know who the hell you are, guy I heard on the talk show talking about the wife he actually loved. Yeah, but isn't love all about taking a chance when you feel that maybe it could work? You know what I mean? I guess, like I said, this feels like a very interesting script writing exercise. Yeah. And it feels like an okay movie. Like, it wasn't a bad movie. You know what I mean? I'm not at all saying that. There's a lot of charm. There's a lot of jokes that work. The kid is very cute when he's not being a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, at the end of the day, I just didn't feel like it rose to the same level that You've Got Mail did to me. I'm just so, so surprised because I thought you were like medium well on You've Got Mail. But I'll say this. I think that I like this description based on food cooking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, medium well. You know, you're medium rare on Sleepless in Seattle, but you were medium well on You've Got Mail. The thing to me is like, as somebody who really loves this genre of of film, you watch You've Got Mail and you think like, God, I wish somebody loved me that much. Like, I wish that somebody would go that far out of their way to get me because they feel like they've only got one shot and they don't want to fuck it up and, you know, whatever. And you watch Sleepless in Seattle and you're like, I hope I'm never in a position where I hear some guy with a dead wife on the radio and I go out of my way to, you know, or vice versa. Like, it's not it's not a story where you're like, oh, what a beautiful love story. I hope that my life turns out that way. It's just commentate like commentary on love. I did feel like and I feel like I'm about to sound so schmaltzy because I'm, I'm talking about my wife, who I would still love if she became a worm. But uh, like I do it, I, I did feel for Sam in the sense that. I can only imagine how devastating it would be to lose that person. Right. Like That's why I felt that way that, you know, when he's talking about it doesn't happen twice or he's talking about, you know, picturing her and what it is she would have said that like, it just hurt me so much because I could just think of like how it's the same reason that, and I'm shame, you know, I think I've shamefully admitted it before that I cried at the end of the notebook because I was like, this movie's going to be so fucking stupid. And at the end I was like, he loves her so much. He's just trying to convince her what the, that, she's his wife and that they love each other and like i was like god damn it this movie tore me apart i would Um, love to do an episode on the notebook because i think it is the most toxic horrible horrible and i don't mean as a movie like it's 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 validity as a film not even touching i think that that movie tells little girls that when you love someone all you do with them is fight that love and passion is is anger and hatred and fighting. And it is the single most toxic thing because that is not at all what love is. Love is not fighting with someone mercilessly. Even like the line in that movie is like, they they didn't get along. They, you know, they didn't agree on anything. But the only thing they agreed on was that they love each other. Like, that's not real. That is yeah, not how I, you should well, feel. I think there's a problem with a lot of romantic comedies or romance movies that they tell you at the end of the day that love is the big gesture. And they do that because it's a movie. We have to do it in this many hours and there has to be conflict. Because in reality, love is much more of a a television show and not a movie where it's 
every day you're making that decision to work on things, to love that person, to try and keep things great because you care so much and so deeply. Yeah. It's not. I love that. That might be moment. the smartest thing you've ever said. Really? I don't say yeah. a lot of smart things. I, I'm going to be honest, Gab. I'm just checking that. in. What did I say? <laughs> you said love is a television show, not a movie. That is the best thing I've ever heard. I'm so proud show, of man. you. I binged that show. Wow, that's really great. Um, No, I agree with you. Totally. Also, I hate while we're on the subject and we should wrap this up. I hate when people say love is hard. You know, like relationships are hard. Love is hard. Somebody said that to me once. Somebody looked me in the eye, dead in the eye and said, well, you understand healthy relationships are hard. And I was like, not really. I, no. I guess I understand saying that. I would say that love, you know, love requires work. Yeah, sure. Love requires, you know, definitely a lot of work. But you know it's not I mean? hard because you want to do it. Yes. And like, like, you know, there are, I'm sure there are days in every relationship that are hard. The best relationship is full of shit if they tell you we haven't ever had a hard day or a fight. Right. But, you know, I, I got to tell you, most days should not be that. If most days are hard, that's that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that that the notebook really, I mean, I know it did for me. Because I had a boyfriend, he listens to this podcast, Scott, what's up? How you doing? But like, <laughs> we did, we fought all the time. And honestly, I think a lot of that was just being young and stupid. But I remember thinking like, that's what love is. You just fight all the time. That's how I knew we were meant to be. We fought all the time. And like, yes. no. That's why there's a toxicity to it that I feel like a lot of little girls see these movies where it's like, well, they hated each other for 80% of it, but he did that amazing, huge gesture at the end. And then I assume everything's great. All was forgiven. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's try I... and make an analogy somehow comparing Daisy going off with Tom. And I'm like, no, Tom's terrible. No, <laughs> there's, there's no, no love there. They're just like, no. yeah, go on. That's go pure ahead. convenience. Do our spiel. Well, I, uh, I respect you. But thank and I you love for you. Respect. Yeah. I, I respect, respect and love you, you as well. Okay. Listen, we can still be family, but, you know, I disagree with you on this. But also, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't love this movie enough to really be upset about it. I get it. You're entitled to your opinion. It's fine. Um, I'm not going to watch this movie again for a number of years. And when I do, I will feel the same way. It's great. It's fine. It's not life changing. Um, I would have been much more disappointed if you said no to The Great Gatsby, but you didn't. I just burped. Listener. <laughs> I need to go. Um, thank you so much for listening. You're the bomb. We do this podcast every week. If you want to have us watch a movie and talk about it, please send us your requests. We may get to them someday. Um, <laughs> please comment, like, subscribe, share, uh, email us at movies to watch before you die at gmail.com. You can send us a voice note at anchor.fm slash movies to watch. You can find us on Instagram and Dylan. What else? Just thanks for listening. You can find us in all your major podcast places if you want to find us somewhere else. And yeah, share this with somebody else. Let's 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 get so many views now. If everybody just shares this with two other people, eventually every person in the world will have heard it. If everybody Venmo's me one dollar, eventually I will not be poor anymore. Oh, we could retire. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it does sound nice. Um, thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Although I cried at the end of the dirty dozen. Well, who did? Because Jim Brown was throwing these hand grenades down these air air shafts, and Richard Jekyll and Lee Marvin were sitting on top of this armored personnel carrier that dressed up like Nazis and oh, Treaty Lopez. Treaty Lopez. <laughs>
He busted his neck when they were parachuting down behind the Nazi lines. Stop it. Richard Jekyll, at the beginning, he had on his shiny helmet because he was the MP. Please, no more. Oh, oh, God, I love that movie.